0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Check, check, one, two. Mic check, one, two. Mic check, mic check, one, two, one, two. Doing these things like oh, young dudes no, do. No, no wait, oh. See, he won't, he, he won't let me fly. He won't let me fly. Now go ahead, no,
2: man. No, That's no. good. That's good. <laughs> I love you too much, so let you just do that to yourself. Um, check, yeah. check, check. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. And God bless Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church Powered by The Witness A black Christian collective I'm your host Tyler Burns You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23 Follow at your own risk And joining me as always is the president of The Witness The man, the myth, the legend Mr. Blue Check verified himself Jamar Tisby, what's up brother?
1: Going back to my boxing days, I gotta defend Perry Dodge Did y'all know
2: Jamar was a boxer? Did y'all know that?
1: Champion boxer
2: He's a champion boxer I've seen no evidence of that, but I take him. I'm just gonna believe him. I'm just gonna believe. I can that was, tell you the, was, the whole
1: story, dog. Is I'm, I'm a champion boxer in my weight class, welterweight. Okay, anyway. bouts. money went to support missions in India. You know, okay. Come <laughs> on now, wait. Look, what? I'm just saying it's for a good for, cause. You fought for
2: missions. In we India? fight so for that. missions. Like it was like a it was like a boxing tournament for missions. It was A fundraiser, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So just was this like
2: sanctioned, or was it like you and your homies just got together and like <laughs> we were in a dorm room, yeah, yeah just we're in the each other <laughs>
1: No, it's huge. It's one of the it's one of the biggest boxing tournaments outside of the military academies. Really, only the military academies today maintain the tradition of teaching boxing at the undergraduate level, and so Notre Dame has it. It's this huge boxing tournament called Bengal Bouts, and it's 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 not a year round thing. You do training twice a year, and then it culminates in a tournament. And so I fought welterweight my first year competitive uh, boxing, entering the tournament, I got second place, and then the second year, my senior year, I got first place. Wow! How many people did you beat? It was from uh, Prelims, quarters, semis, and finals So four Wow Yeah Did you ever
2: think about doing more with that?
1: No <laughs> It's not You're not about that life huh? Nah yeah. smart, smart man uh, Smart nah. man
2: No this is crazy Okay so this is the type of thing We're gonna get into with the AMA Word And we're here in DC DC what's happening?
1: They sound tired yo <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the itis We just ate <laughs> right, like, eh. Um Yeah, so low key turn up uh, here in DC. (laughs) But we got some sophisticated folks in here, you know. But yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do a little AMA, and we're gonna do this a little bit different. So we're actually gonna allow you to raise your hand and speak, um, ask your question, whatever you guys want to talk about. We know nothing about. We what know you're gonna nothing ask. what
1: you're gonna ask. Um, so we just flow in here. This family, we, we can't really even in. pre-screen them. Like when they text in the question, yeah, yeah. So no, it's
2: funny because the first time we did have one of these pop-ups in Memphis. If you go back and listen to the Memphis AMA, we had we pre-screened the questions, and it's not that we don't want to answer anything. It's just that. We don't have time to answer everything. So we just want to answer the, the core questions. And so I put a stack in my left hand of questions that I was not going to answer. The and then I put a stack in my right hand of the questions sheep. that I was going to answer. And then I handed the left hand to Jamar. So I got asked Gave all me the the left hand of
1: fellowship. So
2: I got, I got asked it. all the questions that I'm like, why did I? Like I'm looking at him like,
1: it's not the right
2: one. Anyway, that's just a little insider for the people who actually listen. But anyway, what are your questions? I want to wanna hear this. Let us have it. Last stop of the tour, D.C., y'all ain't shy. I heard y'all. Let's do it.
1: It can be anything. I have a question. Okay, yeah. Um, were you ever in a fraternity?
2: Yes. Do tell. Yes, indeed I was. Okay. It wasn't Divine 9, but at um, Liberty University, they <laughs> No, <have> it wasn't. <laughs> I would, I would actually say you wouldn't have survived what we did to each other. Okay, Jamar, Mr. Boxer, I didn't, I didn't rag on your story. Okay, let me live my truth.
1: Okay, you didn't let me freestyle. I'm just saying. No, <laughs> go ahead yeah, tell us about it.
2: Yeah, so it was a, it was a, a fraternity called Alpha Nu Psi, and um, one guy who was a the f- most famous member of the fraternity is a guy named Rashad Jennings. He actually won uh, Dancing with the Stars. He was an NFL football player. Um, and so we were both in a fraternity At the same time I was a pledge Why is that funny? <laughs> was that that
1: funny? In my face. They were laughing at my face That's not
2: funny at all it Like really? Rashad Rashad might funny. listen to this And he might I'm, No, I'm, I'm all respect to Rashad you
1: know, Look, he's um, throwing signs
2: So, hey, look We had signs We had step team We <laughs> had the whole nine. But it was fun though Adam knows it was kind of a weird group Because it was like Supposed to be You're not supposed to have A fraternity at Liberty But we have one anyway And so you're you, We had to do certain things To haze Or put people through Like the, the whole vibe Of what you do That was not as extreme As like a regular college But at the same time We had to There were challenges So one of the challenges We There's like a monogram It's like a mountain It's like a mini mountain It's really like a, a hill A steep hill and um, they made us climb that at like five in the morning for like five hours blindfolded. Oh. So like we did that blindfolded. Oh. That was like one of the things we did. Another thing we had, we held our hands uh, together and they, t- they duct taped us for 20, 20- 24 hours. And so we had to basically figure out like how we were going to get around, and so administration's not aware of this. It's like
1: look at those guys, their arms are duct tape that's that's i mean normal. it was just it was just two at a time, so it wasn't like you
2: could like cover a sleeve oh, okay. and like it you just we, it looked like we were holding hands, so this was like super sus and uh, yeah shady. yeah that
1: that that might be worse at, at a particular college or university yeah I mean so we, so we had to figure
2: out how to use the bathroom and eat and all that like duct tape together, so. Whoa. Yeah, so but I mean, but we did a ton of community service, leadership development, growth. It was, it was, it was dope. It was dope, and I,
1: I appreciate that's those impressive. brothers. I just, I'm always discovering new things about Tyler. That's all. It's a beautiful thing. Mm.
2: Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. So the question is, um, Nally from Niceville, Florida. Uh, man, shout out to Florida. I like that, man. Florida, Florida. this
1: energy up in here, man. Okay, but we got some receipt on Florida. This is receipts on listen, Florida, right? You got now. receipts on every
2: place. Right every now. place got receipts. Like every right place. Today. Every place got receipts on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but your question was, um, you know, I, I mentioned that if there was one thing I'd probably do differently, it would be go to a different college. Where would I go? Um Oh man, that's a great question. I it probably would be Howard. I'd probably go to Howard. Yeah. Did you go to Howard? No. Oh, what oh, you went to like you you don't like Howard? Like what's that? No, no, that's just what they do. What? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> See, I didn't know. I'm like, ah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Howard. <Henn>. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I actually have. I'm a youth pastor, and so I have a group of a group of kids. A, a couple of them actually are at Howard right now, um, and so I'm kind of vicariously living through them. <laughs> Um and so they're 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 doing the Howard thing, they're doing the HBCU thing and I'm I'm but there's loving it.
1: Something about that, right? Like my first graduate history course was at Jackson State University, which is an HBCU. And the vibe on campus was a am- Here's here's what stu- here's what stuck out to me. As a black person, I didn't have to constantly think about being black. Hmm. So that was a brand new experience for me because now I really could dig into, well, who is just Jamar. That's right. Not the black man in America trying to maneuver people's racism. Now here, most everybody's black. So, okay, we've got that level ground, right? Okay. Now, are you in engineering? Are you into comic books? Are you into sports? Are you into chess? Are you into history economics? Now you could just be free. Now You could just do you. Hmm. And, and, and it's not like we forgot we were black, but it was it was almost celebrated, saying, right? Yeah. You right. know, it wasn't a it wasn't a problem, right? <laughs> it was it was finally something that we could embrace and sort of express in 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 ways we couldn't do within the broader culture. So, shout out to HBCUs. I mean, they're doing vital, vital, vital work. Yeah. have been and still are.
2: Yeah, I think so. The broader answer to the question is it would probably be HBCU. Yeah, that's the broader answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: What's what's the deal here? What, what's the issue? He went to Hampton. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? I went to the University
2: of Maryland for sure. Okay, okay, okay. Got you, got you. Okay. I love it. I have stepped it. into a whole debate. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm she saying you step in general. and people are swinging and you're like, oh, come
1: on. <laughs> We here. had more fans coming in than we were going <laughs> right. out. That's right. Okay. You just want to
2: go to Howard. He saw it on TV. Um, so here's a question for you, Jamar. What would you say is a book you've been doing a lot of research for? Your book, "The Color of Compromise," which I had to put up because people were going to swipe. <laughs> um, but what would you say are a couple of books that have been really meaningful for you in your research that you've read that are maybe primary texts or maybe something that people might not have read or know
1: about? that have really rocked your world. Hmm. Um, Specifically related to the book or just sort of? I mean, book
2: and then broader historical study that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Um, There's a book by uh, Matthew Lasseter called uh, The Silent Majority. And he basically debunks the idea that it was this top-down approach by Nixon to adopt a sort of Southern... Uh, mentality and discourse in his campaign and he says actually that's that that was a grassroots thing they were doing that for a long time it was just sort of the presidential administration caught up to what was popular and 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 he goes further he he talks about um the idea of the sunbelt and I, i find that a really powerful Idea, because it's not just southern. What happened was there was a there was a white great migration in a sense, um, in the 30s, right? And so, uh, you have folks from the deep south moving, uh, west, and they're going to places like Texas, and then especially Southern California, but also you know other areas like Phoenix and whatnot. That's where Barry Goldwater is in Arizona, right? And so you 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 get this spreading out, uh, across, um. From coast to coast, really, you can, you can count, you know, Charlotte, you can count uh, uh, Atlanta, you can count all these big cities. Um, and so that mentality, it was more of a class and a suburban mentality, hmm. which is wrapped up in whiteness. So he's not discounting race, but it breaks us out of, oh, it's just the South that's racist. <laughs> no, there's this Sunbelt thesis that he's proposing that I think is really helpful because how do you get ultra conservative folks who sound exactly like folks in like, you know, deep South Alabama, but they're in orange County, California, Hmm. right? That's how you get a Saddleback church is this homogeneity of a suburban, you know, identity Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that is very racially homogenous, very economically homogenous and very ideologically homogenous. Hmm. And that you can find that everywhere. So that was one really helpful book. Um, uh, Another paradigm sort of shifting book was uh, Tom Sugrue, S-U-G-R-U-E, Origins of the Urban Crisis. And there are a lot of books in that genre, but it's just talking about how did the inner city become what it is. Um, And so he's talking about, uh, you know, redlining, he's talking about discrimination, he's talking about racial segregation, all these things, a much more accessible book. Uh, because it's shorter and sort of written in, in everyday language, is Ira Katz Nelson's um, When Affirmative Action Was White. And so we talked. We talk often about uh, the New Deal and the GI Bill and how that was sort of um, <laughs> distributed in racist ways. So he walks through that in a, in a really short, accessible book.
2: Wow, okay. Yeah, y'all write this down. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I hope somebody wrote that down. Wow. Yeah, go ahead. I think that's a great question. I think the how existential it, the question is, and I should repeat it for the, for the audience who's listening, but uh, John asked how existential has it become for us in terms of our faith and questioning certain things about our faith or kind of rethinking whether or not we believe the same things that we had before. Um, I would say a lot of that is dependent and determinative on your proximity to the white evangelical church. And so if you are proximate and close to the white evangelical church, I've seen that there's maybe a little bit more of an existential wrestle there than if you have really deep roots in black church um, and other uh, forms of, of church expression that are in the American context and globally. I've seen personally the questioning more so of where how my faith was formed rather than what I specifically believe. So the formation of faith was drenched in private Christian school, independent fundamental Baptist slash SBC thought.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, I'm just trying to uncover everything. <laughs> you know. So it was kind of all that. First it was independent fundamental Baptist, where I, that's how I learned the faith outside of my father teaching me, which was not Baptist at all. Um, that's how I learned the faith when I went to a school that for eight hours a day hid that from me. Um, hid my heritage from me, hid Mm. the contributions of black people to the faith from me. Mm. So that was my initial part, which led to a lot of self hate and then transitioning to an environment where it wasn't as much self hate, but it was required assimilation, forced assimilation. So I'm, I'm, I'm now going back and excavating how my faith was formed. Like, so who, who has impacted me and why, why do I repeat what they say over? Why do I look at my home church with suspicion? Mm. Because they're not you know liturgical in the same way we are, and because they they you know are charismatic, and so there's there's different ways in which they express the faith, there's different categories there's different expressions of their service and and emotional attachment to what is being preached, so all those things that's mainly been the existential and actually that's that's led to a little bit of um tension and I've mentioned this before uh with my family as far as mm what they allowed me to be immersed in. Mm. When they when they saw I was kind of falling headlong into the self-hate, they were like, no, 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 racism is actually real. And I'm like, yeah, but it's too late now because I have all these resources. And if unless you give me resources that refute all this, I know all the arguments because I'm 17 now, I'm 18 now, I'm 21 now, and they gave me all the arguments to refute you. And so now I'm saying, why didn't you grab me earlier? What, what was is public school that bad that you felt I had to stay in a place that was going to teach me to hate myself? And so that's how it's gotten existential for my family and I. Um, And, and now my brother and sister, and I've talked about this before. I don't think they mind. My brother and sister are still in some of those environments in college now, um, senior and sophomore in college. And so now they're going through this, but much earlier than I am. Much earlier than I did, and so now I'm able to recommend resources to them that that reveal kind of that um that invisible cloaking of <laughs> all kinds of American exceptionalism and and mess that's baked into the the faith that that they're hearing, so I think it's a wonderful question that's how I would answer it
1: and i would i, I as we talk about this journey in the over the last year I don't think we i I don't think I could highlight enough for myself how critical it has been to rediscover and discover uh, resources from the black church and there are a lot of other really good expressions that I'm 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 learning about but for me especially with the racial identity part to go back to black theologians back to black gospel songs back to black sermons uh has been life-giving in a way that was never offered up as an option to me hmm. in my predominantly white Christian circles, so
2: yeah, I would say it's also it's hard to be it's hard to leave the faith when you're around people who are so determined to hang on to it hmm. It's very hard um who no matter what is happening in the world they are still and this is why I think this is the the place I think for emotion within the context of the church expression is they're emotively praising God in the midst of cultural mess. And so it's very hard for me to come in and say, Oh man, this election, I can't believe this and all this. And it, and it's not saying that there's not a place for lament and there's a place for crying out to God and expressing the grief and the pain of what is happening in our country. But when you see people who are not just dealing with the uh, intellectual argument but they don't have health insurance. Yeah. You see people got laid off and they have no money and they're the ones who are leading us in worship. That's it's right. hard. It's hard to say, man, it's Christianity. Anything I can't stand? I'm like, well, uh, that, cause what you're going through doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense why you're still hanging on to this faith and the intellectual and all the racism that you have to deal with every single day and all this and all that. But yet you're the first person who comes in. Okay. That's really hard for me to stay intellectual and academic when there's such great examples of living out your faith. Um,
1: And for me, the, the existential, Difficulty has come in uh, what communities I'm part of. Oh, sure. Yeah. So what, Absolutely. what's been really painful over the past several years with uh, police brutality, with the election, with the racism that's always been there, has been being sort of um, pushed out of communities that I thought I was a part of. Um, or realizing that those communities that said they accepted me only accepted a version of me that was acceptable (laughs) to them.
2: And I actually want to say he walked through this. He's not going to go into detail. He walked through this a lot more seriously than you think. Like, I, I really want to acknowledge the pain of what you walked through. Like you let us into that and, um, I'm proud of you. Like, because he walked through hell, Mm. To get here. He lost a lot. To get here. But anyway.
1: Thank boy. you for saying that. Um, yeah. And it's real. So. I was striving so hard. To. Carve out a place. Or as they say. To get a seat at the table. And it, it, God had to teach my hard head itself. In a very difficult way. There's other tables. And there's other seats. And you need to build one. And the witness is part of building our own table. And the past the mic is part of building our own table. And it's for people who want to have these discussions and who want to access Christianity in a holistic sense. That word holistic is so rich for me now because in in the theology I was learning, it was so segmented. There's the gospel and there's justice and never the twain shall meet. And I was like, what? (laughs) This can't be true. Simply because of what I've experienced, let alone what others who have gone through much more than I have experienced. Those saints you're talking about, right? And and so uh, I had to learn the hard way that in those communities, institutionally, uh, which I would differentiate from individuals. But institutionally, it wasn't changing. It just wasn't. And so I've said this often. When you are about race and justice and seeing progress, one of three things is going to happen you going to sell out you going to burn out or you going to get pushed out so that's where i was next
2: <laughs> listen yo so so i have to say that this this brother's shirt is incredible yeah. ah. you can't see it but his shirt is where was all lives matter from 1619 to 1968, and I need that shirt in my life for reals. <laughs> so, we gotta get anyway. A I'm sorry. After this. Your question. That was am So Chris is asking us our thoughts on a home based church, you know, house churches. I praise God for them. Um, one of the one of the issues that I've seen is, and it's been acutely being now nine years on staff at a church, is how much um, human metrics drive our presentation of the gospel, um, human standards of success. How many how many people are in the seats? How much the offering is? Um, you know how many services we go to our service times the people who are coming in. It's a lot of distraction that goes into the the everyday church experience. Um, and what I found is that house churches and home churches are much more. Um, I was actually talking to a brother over here, Amadi, um, who's talking about this reality of um, the organic expression of the faith and how how tethered are we to going to a building. Um that um we may be uh spending resources unnecessarily on resources that maybe could be used to to do some of the economic things I was talking about in the previous uh, and, and and you know I think um it's really difficult now because people have the American church has systematically very slowly but also um very noticeably changed the taste buds of young Christians and they've altered their taste buds to desire really catchy, really relevant, um, formulaic presentations of the gospel that center them rather than the kingdom that center their experience rather than the community, um, around them that gets them to come in and have a great service with coffee in their hands and, And the 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 church and and the, the church is in a neighborhood that is suffering, but we can't engage with that suffering neighborhood because it would scuff up our shoes. And so how do we get to a place where we we adjust that dynamic and remove that. And I think the house church is a beautiful place for that. I think it's difficult for me to speak on it because I'm so, I'm in the Bible Belt and so in the Bible Belt everyone has a building and if you don't have a building you're not a church and you know that's not biblical but hey I mean you know it's not biblical but it's southern so I mean you know so I I would love to hear and I'm actually learning and want to connect with with those of you who are part of house churches and and hear your experiences and your stories about about how that's impacted your faith and influenced you to, to live out the
1: gospel. Amen.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I think the only thing I would add is... Um, you said amen. You can't say anything. Out
0: there. <laughs> Ain't no P.S.
1: in God, brother. Ain't no, <laughs> no, it's God. black church. We say amen, and then we go on. Uh, Ooh, once you say amen, once the prayer's
2: out, we out, we out. No.
1: I think, you know, every every church model, if you will, has benefits and drawbacks. Um, And so I think where people have critiqued and probably unhelpfully because they haven't experienced the house church um, movement is, is in the area of church polity. And so I would just look at governance and making sure that it's elder-led and some plurality of elders and that there's some accountability, whether it is an established More church. So
2: I come out, y'all, is he no.
1: Whether it's an established church. <laughs> that boy's still reformed, y'all see? We don't.
2: <laughs> Somebody take a picture of him right now. Take a Jamar Tisby is still reformed. No,
1: no, keep going. I'm sorry. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Existential community issues here. But it's like, yeah, just as long, as any church model. Can succumb to people wanting to be their own, form their own kingdom, right? Absolutely. And that's that's the issue. Whatever church model we are talking about, absolutely. For me, Amen. that's all I'm saying. Amen.
2: Absolutely. So Taylor asked a question about women in ministry, and I'm gonna kick it to Jamar. Are you serious? No. <laughs> so I grew up in an environment. It's interesting because I grew up in an environment. Um, this duality of of taking in kind of a baptistic uh, theology. But at the same time, my church is extremely egalitarian. So uh, my church expression is uh, that women are able to do anything that a man is able to do within the scope of a service. Um, and so that includes preaching, teaching. I grew up in that. Um, and so my reform sensibilities when I was reformed, cage stage, Calvinist, um, it rubbed up against a lot of people within the church the wrong way. Um, and so I think one of the things that I've I've leaned into, and I talked about it in our misogyny episode, is... Um, If there's not women um, in ministry, women in my particular circle who are able to have authority to call out um, blind spots that I'm clearly exhibiting that I cannot see, um, then I'm going to just replicate the system around us. I'm going to replicate uh, patriarchy. Um, And so that's actually been something that um, one of the one of the top accountability partners, she's kind of she hasn't necessarily come into uh, ministry yet, uh, but I think she has a that call is my sister. Uh, my sister is 18 years old and um, very direct with me, and so we set up times where she can say, "Hey, you've you've observed me, you've seen me, um, and so now as you see me interact with people, what are some things that you're seeing about um, how I'm carrying myself around women? Am I using my power, using my privilege that I have to amplify the voices of women?" Um, one of the things that we've done within our, um, teaching team, um, in our youth group is it's predominantly women. Um, and so I've tried to, as best as possible, give up as much of my teaching time to qualify women who are able to, to preach the word and teach and lead. Um, again, not very reformed thing to do mm. <laughs> at all, but I think it's, I think it's of vital importance. And I, again, I've I said this in the gender apartheid episode, the, the, just because the black church is egalitarian or some parts of the black church are egalitarian does not mean they're doing better when it comes to misogyny. Um, it's more than just positions, but it's also principles and it's also honor as well. And I think we can put people in, we use the idea we hate when white evangelicals make us tokens, but we do the same thing to women. And then, um, and then we we pat ourselves on the back to say we're we're, we're for equality. We're for dignity for all we're for all gender roles. We're all this. And um, the reality is, we have a lot of, of skeletons in our closet. So,
1: and as far as reflecting on the last year, that's one of the biggest areas I think that we've been challenged to to grow in, and hopefully, by God's grace, at some point, be able to model really yeah. well is um, uh, respecting the the image of God in women. Uh,
2: well, and and we're gonna do some stuff with the witness. What did I say? No, I'm saying okay. and we're gonna do some stuff with the witness. Yes. I'm 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 okay. teasing something that we're announcing a couple of days. Yes, yes. Okay. I thought I
1: had slipped up and said a,
2: something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we are we are gonna we're we're gonna try to make that concerted effort
1: yeah. um, to and, and center yes. women's voices that you'll see soon. And I um I mean for me it really came home at I think it was LDR. Yes. We had a live recording with Truce Table. And a young lady got up in in front of a room like sixty people, was just very vulnerable with her experiences of patriarchy and misogyny, and she's basically asking, "Where do I go to feel safe? How, how is there anywhere I can just be a little girl, and not have my body objectified or either repelled because men are afraid of the temptation?" And I had no answer for that. It just rocked me um, because. It takes, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be this way, but it takes women to have the courage to be vulnerable, to impact guys like me who just, just weren't aware, didn't take the time to be aware. And so, um, it's painful. It's it's painful for me to realize I've been part of the problem.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. Um... Yeah,
2: Truth Table has been massive. Like, yes. we're
0: actually friends in
2: real life. Yes, yes. And they've been massive. Like, I, I think of actually one scenario. It was before, I think it was pre-LDR. And um, uh, there was something that happened. And, oh, no, it was, yeah, it was pre-LDR. And there was something that happened. And, man, they got after us. They challenged us. <laughs> and I remember I was like, man, they're so right. And I had to repent to them, and because we weren't stepping we weren't weren't vocal. stepping up, yeah. like it was just, yeah, they've been massive, so like, like actually real knowing yeah. women <laughs> they've been they yeah.
1: <laughs> absolutely and look, yeah, in, in these theologically conservative circles, it's like, you know don't don't go near it's you know, which is dumb, it's dumb. Yeah. we don't have healthy friendships and relationships across the gender line, so of course. Yeah. Men are going to be jerks. Thank you. Good question. Yeah, back, back in the back.
2: Now, I, 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 okay, so Matt asked the question, like, how do you take the principles of the black church um, and the haven and also the prophetic voice and implement that into a multi-ethnic, multicultural church? I just want to emphasize, though, that when Matt says he came from a Becca book. That is exactly what I was talking about. It is, I don't know how you are here, <laughs> okay? <laughs> You've gone through quite a journey. I want to talk to you afterwards and get notes and pray with you uh, and have you pray with me. And um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's important for us um, to glean and listen as much as we can. But um, <clears throat> I was talking with somebody recently about this, this idea that church comes basically, there's a church formula that is dependent on certain American suburban churches there's a church formula there's a formula to how you plant a church, and not all of it is bad, but it is a formula that is dependent upon certain um, categories and certain qualifiers and you have to ask the question how have the 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 formula how is the formula how have the steps that people are giving me? whether it's to go into a church, to integrate uh, multi-ethnic people, diversity within a church, to hire leaders from the outside who are people of color. How has that formula and those steps been informed by white supremacy? And so what are the assumptions that you make in that place? So if the assumption is we're going to bring you in as a tool to use for the people who are here, well, then you... That's not respecting his dignity, his humanity. How does it make, sh- how do we make sure that we're not, we're, we're, I, I get this a lot. Hey, come in. Cause it would fit so good here. Why for you, for me, which, which one, or is it, you're bringing me to the table, but you want me to sit in the kid's chair and you want me to eat, but you, but you don't want me to set the menu, but it's good to have a kid at the table. And so I I would say like how you present all of this, is it dignifying, and then also, does it does it name specific things? So sometimes what we do in, in diversity, especially with multi ethnic churches, is we is we 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 let the issues that would prevent this go unnamed to preserve the optics. The optics mean nothing if you don't address the root. So you got to put the axe to the root and say, "This is why we have leaders on staff where people call, we got issues, we got problems." And you might not be able to say that in that way. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't say, don't, don't let me say it because it's not good, but I'm just saying use wisdom, but you have to name it biblically. What are the issues that exist within our, in our environment, within our church congregation, within our community that have prevented us, that have made this church predominantly white. And it's not just stylistic. It's not just preference, but there's some deep rooted sin here. So let us address the sin, even as we go and hire, use our money, um, and then let us allow them to come in and model. You have the opportunity now as a leader to model what it looks like to, to, to divest your platform to people of color and to say, we trust them to speak on this. I've had people say, come in, speak on race, but you have to tell us what you're going to speak on. Tell us all the things that you're going to do. Tell us this, tell us that. Ah, do you want to say it like this? I'm like, whoa, like that's not how we do it. Um, and and it's and I honor the fact that they care about what's going on in their pulpit. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're giving me more scrutiny because of my topic, when you know you wouldn't give him the same scrutiny because he's going to come in and talk about sovereignty. Well, then you know we're, we're revealing ourselves there.
1: I mean, it's it's very particular to your church and your community. So I I don't know what it's like, and so I don't know exactly what it would take. I have found though that in churches that are predominantly white and theologically conservative, they just don't have the range. You won't be able to do it. You won't. Not without some radical steps that most people aren't willing to take. So that means going back, it means focusing on the process, right? Not just the process of, you know, planting and growing a church, but your own theological formation. Uh, Because you've been using categories They're going to be very foreign in different contexts. And it's just not going to preach. (laughs) It's not going to speak to where they are. Um, Not even just talking about Sunday morning. Uh, We haven't learned from the people who are informing the ones we want to bring in. Nor have we learned enough about their situation, Mm -hmm. right? And been with them. Um, And so the analogy, somebody was telling me recently, a, a, a pastor used this illustration of you're baking a cake you get all the ingredients. You got your eggs. You got your flour. You got whatever else goes into baking. I was cake, about right? to say, you know, do you know butter, butter. Right? Yeah.
2: We like, we gonna see what he does here. So you, you you
1: you put it all in there. You go in. You put it in the oven. It bakes out nice and neat. Put the frosting on it. All that stuff. You bite into it. It's like, hmm. You know what? I forgot the sugar. Now. You try to go back and sprinkle some sugar on top <laughs> and say, See, here, here, we got it, we got it. But the reality is, come on, Doc. It's not in the constitution of what you've created. So you can't just sprinkle it on top and say, Now we've got diversity. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been baked into the entity you've created. And I don't know the language that honors the undefeatable aspect of the church. Right. Like I believe. Yes. With all my might yes. in the church because I believe in Christ. Yes. Yes. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I believe in the church. When it comes to congregations, though, <laughs> you might. I mean, honestly, for some congregations, if you really want diversity, you got to dissolve the church and start brand new like you just planted it. Like, there's no way to go back and fix it. There's no way to go back and put the sugar back in the cake when you didn't put it in, in the batter, before it went in the oven to bake. There's no way to go back and put that in there. So. Wow.
2: I love that statement. You haven't, you haven't listened to the people who are informed, the ones you want to bring in. That's powerful. Wow. Yes, brother. So the question that Delante asks is uh, about John MacArthur and about the statement, the statement of social justice uh, on social justice. <laughs> yeah, <the gospel>. D. <laughs> and so, and uh, so basically he was asking, how, do, do we believe that John MacArthur set the white church back and has kind of pushed the white church back to more galvanizing around, um, you know, rejecting these kind of concepts, um,
1: galvanizing around uh, status quo? I think anytime you have a leader as prominent as John MacArthur making statements, is going to have an impact, right? His reach is monumental, even among black folks. I'm very surprised. Like, even in
2: South Africa as well. Lord have
1: mercy. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he's catalyzed his ministry by packaging his teaching in such accessible forms, sermons and CDs and conferences and books. So it's out there. And, and, and he's got a large group of Christians who listen to him. I don't know about, you know, setting people forward or back, but I do think it has an impact in a couple of ways. One, it's sort of it's deflating for people who were trying to push for more of a of a seamless integration of gospel and justice, which has a whole other conversation that they should even be separate in the first place as an assumption is not really a thing. I don't think I'm doing an Adam (laughs) was moving his head. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) anyway. So I think it's deflating to folks who are pushing for progress and have this really prominent leader come and say, nope, you're wrong. And here's my huge statement about that. But I think probably um, a more enduring and perhaps more damaging effect is that it emboldens people who already thought that way. Because now here's this leader who so many people listen to and respect saying what we're saying. Now we've got words to it. We've got signers. We've got this whole moment Where we can just amplify everything we've been saying before so that even the people who are pushing against that kind of understanding slash misunderstanding of the gospel and justice, their voices are now drowned out by the people who feel like they can more boldly proclaim it. Um, So I think that's one of the big um, negative impacts of a statement like that.
2: Yeah, um, I think it cemented the people who are already going that way. Um, But... I don't want to understate or overstate its influence. I want to understate it because it does have meaning and it does have impact, but I don't want to overstate it in the sense that um, if you read the articles and you thought that was a strong theological argument that presented opposing views charitably, I'm not totally sure if this wave is for you. If that's what's convincing you I'm just gonna be real It was theologically light that's right. It was drenched in culture So when we're talking about it, we're not even talking about Man, let's, let's. the reason why Jamar is saying Man, we don't exhaust ourselves in responding to this stuff Because it's not It, it, it wasn't well done <laughs> I've heard better arguments Against it I've heard better arguments against us That we would take to heart And we would say, oh, okay, well, I see where they come from This was not that And so if That's what convinces you and pushes you into that. I'm kind of like, well, you may not be open to opposing views to begin with. And so it may just be a situation of cementing where you were already going. It doesn't mean you're without hope. It doesn't mean you're lost. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you may be going in a direction that is totally different from the wave that we believe God is kind of pushing us towards. So go ahead. (laughs) Okay, hang on, hang on. So there's a question. Bo asked this question because Jamar and I were having this conversation. I made a statement, which I will stand by and repeat. I made a statement that if, if you are asking me what do I want to listen to? Is it hip-hop from 1990 to 1999 or hip-hop from 2000 to 2010? I said give me the 2000s every day of the week. I would prefer to listen to the 2000s. If and
1: you I couldn't stand hear that. on the mic, the audience was just like,
0: what? Absolutely stand
2: by it and I get, I, I, I automatically know I'm arguing from the underdog position. I know I am. But what I'm telling you is 2000 to 2010 shaped hip hop for the next thirty years, and it was extremely important. Specifically, specifically, hang on. Let him speak.
0: Specifically,
2: there are specific albums that shaped hip hop that come from 2000 to 2010, such as 808s and Heartbreak from Kanye West that shaped. No, no, no. You guys... Oh, hold up, hold up. So what you're telling me is 808s and Heartbreak did not have decades-long impact on how hip-hop presents itself. That's what you guys are saying. Someone, someone stand up and tell me that. And that was in 2000. That was in 2000, 2010. Exactly. I'm saying it had long, far-reaching impact. Not saying it was his best album, but it had far-reaching impact. Somebody stand up and tell me it didn't. This is the, this is the thing. <laughs> Tupac, yes, I knew this was coming. So, what you're telling me is you would prefer any Tupac album over any Kanye album. That's what you're saying. Yes. You
3: would? <laughs> really? That's what? Really?
0: <laughs>
2: any Tupac album, hang on. Why? Any, nah, over any, saying. over, nah, over my beautiful go 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 dark course, twisted course, fantasy, go go to over graduation, <laughs> over college dropout, over late retro, you would prefer it over all that. You prefer Tupac's catalog over Kanye's from 2000, oh, it's 2010. It's catalog, yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. we would disagree. <laughs> there are five albums, there are five albums, 2000, 2010. I'd take all those five albums over anything Tupac put out. <laughs> Pre-maga Kanye, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm tagging in Adam. <laughs> Bring somebody else in. You lit a match. No, you're doing great. No, just, <laughs> 90s, just, 90s hip-hop, man.
4: Look, let's just be honest. There's such a level of subjectivity to this, and and music has say? an influence upon it Oh, this is that, Aaron James, yeah, by the way. Yeah. By the way, this is Aaron James. Yeah. Go ahead. What's going on, y'all? So... Music has an influence upon us because we attach music to experiences that we've gone through in life at those particular times, right? And so we can't expect to bring a healthy level of objectivity to this conversation, right? And so let's just Thank be Thank you, Pastor. Can we Thank just be honest about that? Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> let's, just be, let's just be honest because I look, I'm with the 90s crowd, right? But I also realized, i mean, I was coming into my own in certain ways in the '90s. I'm from the Deep South, born and raised Louisiana, so I grew up on Ghetto Boys, Eight Ball, MJG, Outkast when they were first coming out, watching them on BET after school, you know, um, uh, you know. And so it's it's different. Oh yeah, and those you know, No Limit, all those cats, you know, Mystical Masterpiece, you know, and just you know. And so if you ask me if I think it's better. Man, yeah you know exactly but a reason for that is a reason I'm for let that is, cook I'm i, went, let I cook. went to college i went to college uh in the midwest like in the north midwest and so you know i, I was hanging around a bunch of guys they were on to jay-z and wu-tang and i was like who are these people and, and i was like why do they rap so funny like this is like this is offbeat they can't even like like what's happening and and really what was happening to me i couldn't appreciate what they were doing quite honestly And so as I listen more, I said, oh, no, this is pretty dope. You you know, I mean, I I grew to appreciate it. And so having said all of that, the 90s were better.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, come on, man.
4: Come on. It was better. Fire away.
2: I mean, yeah, go off. (laughs)
4: Some of these folks I can't even listen to because I got like a vocabulary and I can't understand
2: You talking about 2010? No, you talking about 2010 to no, now? You're not talking about 2000 2010. Know uh-huh. what you're talking about? You're not talking, talking about, about 2000 2010. 2000. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I was that the 2000s, 2000 to yeah. 2010. Yeah, what I'm saying is it influenced the next wave of hip hop.
4: Yeah. That's, no, 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 what how would you second. say it's a hold degradation?
2: A but how would you say it's a degradation? <laughs> there's there's always there's been no, we, but yeah, there's the, always been bad hip hop. Y'all act like it ain't never been bad hip hop. How do you know what how do you couch majority? I Like you're 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 pointing to me the greatest artist and then you're saying that's the majority of the 90s. Yeah. How do you couch that? How do you prove that? That's an unprovable statement. Hey, couldn't we say though I'm
3: sorry. what I'm yeah, sorry. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: There's
3: two things that I think I think there's like really should be added. Uh, Adam Keeley. Adam Keely, uh, A.O. Keezy. don't just don't follow me on Twitter at all. Not a joke. Two things I need. Two things I think should be added to this conversation huh i oh, yes i am i am but i want to i want to speak to a bigger thing though that i think you hit on which is okay. objectivity it's very hard to st- to do generational spans of like understanding what is good, what is not someone who liked Saturday night live in the eighties when they were 25, I guarantee you they do not like Saturday night live now. Yeah. yeah it's not for them now. Yeah, it was for yeah, them. Then yeah. music is much the same way. We, we, you even see psychology psychologically. We hit a taste freeze in our mid thirties where we no longer understand the new stuff that is coming out. Because up, okay. Because it okay is not, no, okay. Uh, no, that's a all real right, thing. All right, all right. That is a real all right, thing. All right. That is, a real thing. That okay. is a real thing. Okay. You could you could google it. Okay. Let okay. me finish. All right. Let me finish. Hey, hey, yo, yo. Let me yo. finish. Hold hey. on. Let me let me just finish up. Cause I'm gonna be real quick. I'm gonna be real quick. I'm gonna be real quick. So the but these are the things that we need to these are the these are the filters that you need to know. Like when you're 38 or 48 trying to listen to a 19-year-old talk about their problems, it's automatically going to sound trivial to you. So you're automatically going to have a negative connotation. So it's automatically going to be harder for you to like it. Sometimes it automatically
4: sounds stupid. Right.
3: It does because you're grown. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You're grown. But wait, let me finish. Also, as we know, is as time passes, only the good things remain. Right? I cannot name to you the sixth man in the Orlando Magic in 1996. I can name to you the six men of the Orlando magic in 2009 because it's, it's only nine years ago versus 20 years ago. You know what I mean? So our mind does the same thing. I can still remember that Lil Zane was making trash music in 2004. I don't know who was only around for a couple of years in 1994. We have all forgotten those people and all that remains is the Fugees and whatever, whatever. It's not like that for the twenties. So these are filters that you also have to think of. Lastly, Lastly, hip-hop now, I'm not the biggest fan of all the new rappers. Hip-hop now is, is, is in a deconstructionist era. You see the same thing in painting. Painting was ornate. You went to the Renaissance. You went to the modern. And then it could not get any more technically solid. So people just started putting, you know what I mean? They started doing stripes on walls. That was all that was left to do because it could not get more technically complex. So
4: trap, right? Is that what you're...
3: That's what I'm saying. Okay. So when you talk about mumble rap, when you talk about these types of music, you're not talking about a falling back. You're talking about a plateau that is leading towards the next discovery. They're just on a plane. They're not moving backwards. They're on a plane. The staircase was like, oh, we got like hip, a hop, a hip to the it. You had that flow. <laughs> then you had you know what I mean? And then flows progressed and they got more complex and they got more innate and then they did multisyllabic and they did all these things and then drake comes in and he's singing on half the track and he's rapping and then there's nowhere else to go so they just start mumbling because that was all I was left to do and then and then someone who is seven years old right now someone who is seven years old right now will take curtis blow and they'll take tupac and they'll take j cole and they'll take little wayne who he even mentioned Lil wayne from 2000 2010 oh. What? Okay, that's an, I'm not going that way, but I'm not I'm not accepting that boo on Lil Wayne from 2000 2010. I reject it. And then they'll take you know they'll take these mumble rappers and they'll take the culmination of that and then they'll they'll get to the next wave, which will be a progression, which will be a Banksy of rap, which will be you know what I mean. What it has gone to? So I just wanted to add those in because I think it's unfair. There's nobody in here right now who's 17, 18 years old who heart bleeds when they hear xxx who you know is a problematic person but when they hear mumble rap there's no one there's no one here that is experiencing their first love who then hears LMA sing Boot up and it in it in it it screams to them because they're 17 yeah you yeah. know what i'm saying in the, the same, same way <laughs> but I know but I'm just saying but so there's no one here there's no one here to speak for that point so it's an unfair conversation yeah it's a slanted so, like trial level yeah nobody here is unbiased enough but to see, tell but see that's what I'm truth. saying that's the
4: subjectivity of it right yes. music is experiential and it's deeply moving why are us, Tyler Jamar neither well. on
3: the mic at their show <laughs>
4: Have I'm just no like, why idea. am I looking at Eric? I don't know. It's I don't like know why I'm looking yo. at you. I don't know. I, I don't you know. It. But you we were having a similar finish. conversation yes, earlier, bro. though, right? You
3: don't have to tell me. So, who you're talking yeah, about, man, right it's, man. It's yeah. <laughs> Don't tell them what we're talking about.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: There's such a level of subjectivity when it comes to music, and it's so tied. So, you know, if a certain jam was playing when you know you were all googly eyed and weak in the knees, butterflies in your stomach, sure. looking across the room at a certain somebody, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You could be with a different person 25 years later, and that song come on. and You be, like, I have to cast that thought down right now in the name, of <laughs> Look, I rebuke you. Like I will not, I will not go back. Right. I mean, y'all laughing because you know what I'm saying, right? 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 right, 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 right. You know what I'm saying, and so. <laughs> And so that's the power and the influence of music. And so hip-hop has been phenomenally uh evolutionary and and i definitely appreciate that but within every progression in terms of music it doesn't mean that there's a progression in quality and so you have transcendent artists that regardless of the time period they can be appreciated regardless of who you are you know it's like you could be a younger person and get turned on to like tupac and they listen to it thought, oh my gosh i never like you know or just whoever this is an example you know or whoever 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 it may be but um yeah lord hill like Lauren Hill, right? They're like, oh, I just thought that was the girl you know, from the old movie Sister Act. But no, no. So much more. So much more. So much more. Right? And so... But what we're talking about... We're, we were making an argument specifically in qualitative terms. Yeah. Right? And well, Tyler so, was
3: making an influence. In yeah, a, no, no, no. That's right. He was right. making a right. preference. Yeah. He was talking about a preference. And
4: so... And here's, here's, where, here's where I think and we this is why I'm up. talking about the filters yeah. of the conversation. Here's where I thought we got... Here's where I think we got... We're, we're making qualitative arguments where... When in reality... Tyler does have a point. I I really do. Like in terms of influence, you can't say you can't say that that's not true. Now, it may hurt us to admit that, but you can't say that the music that he produced didn't have a very real influence on the artists who came up after him and that his influence was stronger than, you know, music that separated by more more time. So, yeah, absolutely.
3: I get that. Yeah. And I will say that Tupac didn't really have that big of a musical impact. He didn't. Who are you? I didn't. People weren't, people, there's not, Tupac, if you trace, if you trace, if you trace, like, okay, for instance, let's take Lil Wayne. I'm not, and I'm not saying for the good or the bad. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. But how many, when Lil Wayne started getting tattoos, when he started rapping and doing his weird stuff in his elevated state. How how much of music is that, is that we're calling how, now how much of music now is birthed from what Lil Wayne started doing they took what he did and they did it to the next level when Tupac passed away no one carried the mantle of his style his cadence his musical content you can't trace it past the point of him it's like when Jim Brown got out the league or when no one else was trying to play like that nobody else running backs weren't really influenced by Bo Jackson he was a flash in the pan anomaly that we look to and we. What? Yeah. Running backs. What? what? Okay. I'm not, I don't want to add other conversations into this. What I'm trying to say is Tupac was an amazing rapper. He, I'm not saying that he's not top three of all time, top two of all time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that he is an anomaly that stands alone. That he's, there's not a category of people that try to sound like Tupac or are learning from Tupac moving forward. That's, That's because all I'm if saying. If you
4: have sense, you don't try to replicate that. Huh?
3: We're going in a lot of different directions. <laughs> Look, Look I've taken so many notes. We're not we got to we got to let them this. come we back gotta, up. We gotta, it's we gotta getting this.
4: late. We got to deal with this Bo Jackson thing. We got to deal with this. We got so much work we need to do. We just let's just go outside. Let's just let's just talk about it, it out there. Let's just talk about
1: that. <laughs> 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 yes. So oh we knew this was going to be special we knew this was gonna be different
3: yeah i think what's
1: gonna happen is this is a longer conversation
2: conversation. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us we really appreciate you being here and um, um, all the opinions and the energy that you guys gave us um, it's just amazing this is what we believe pastor mike is about Hopefully, this is a safe space, free space for you to to ask questions, to be who you are, and to connect with other people. The um, just the incarnational solidarity—that's kind of the word for tonight. Uh, I think is really important, and so hopefully, this is this frees you. I think um, a key part. I know that's a kind of a joke, but and you know we're having a fun debate or whatever, but it's good to be in a space where we're free to have those types of yes, conversations, yes. where we're not constricted to me preaching or you preaching or um, but that you know even our our perspectives on art and common grace of people who may not even claim to be believers is actually um, a point of reflection for us and it's a point of intersection with our faith so um, hopefully this has been an encouraging experience for you guys and hopefully you've kind of got energized to go back into your local community and do what's necessary and we can't thank you enough for um, just who you are and, and supporting us and coming to this show and spending your Friday night with us I mean we yeah. don't take it lightly um, it's no assumptions on our end Jamar and I have no assumptions we have no assumptions that oh well, everyone's just listening and everyone likes to listen and people are excited about the content like we have no assumptions we have no way of knowing outside of people telling us and encouraging us to move forward mm-hmm. so um, I just I honor you guys and thank you for being people um, that hopefully will continue all these conversations in glory And um, when there's no time limit and there's no uh, endless food at the table and yeah, all of that. So I'll kick it to tomorrow.
1: Our mission is liberation. Y'all go and be free. Follow Jesus and do what you do.